Great to be with you today. I'm Peter Salmon. I'm our lead pastor here and uh, just love the opportunity to gather together to worship, to pray, and uh, to be the church together. And that's what we're talking about, the church. Uh, the next couple weeks, what is the church? Why church? Um, what's the purpose of the church? Why should we even be a part of a church? Reminds me of one of my favorite jokes. A mother went to wake up her son for church one morning, and um, he wouldn't get out of bed and said, you know, I don't want to go to church this morning. And he said, I'll give you two reasons why. He said, one, you know, nobody likes me at church. And, and two, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. And the mother said, well, I'll give you two reasons why you should go to church. One, you're 47 years old. And two, you're the pastor. One of my favorite jokes, sorry if I have shared that before. Um, Some of you have never heard it before, so there we go. But I wonder if you've ever felt like that on Sunday morning. Do I have to go to church? I don't wanna go to church this morning. I wanna sleep in, man, like there's things I wanna do on a Sunday morning. Um, I wonder if you've ever asked that. Uh, I'm not allowed to ask that question. I'm the pastor, right? But, but maybe, maybe you have, and, and maybe you've just wondered, are we going through the motions here? Why church? Why do we do this? Why do we gather? What even is the church? And maybe you've had bigger questions. Maybe you've had kind of theological questions, biblical questions about the church. Maybe you've experienced some things in your life related to church, and you have a lot of questions about it. In fact, um, there was a recent survey of evangelical Christians where the question was asked, should a, a Christian be part of a local church? 51% of evangelical Christians answered yes, and 44% said no. I saw those numbers and I started to ask, why would 44% of self-professed you know, evangelical Christians say, no, you don't need to be a part of a local church? Well, here's some reasons I thought of. Maybe you could think of more. Some have endured um, just horrific spiritual abuse, uh, church hurt. Some have been kind of eyewitnesses to different church scandals. Some just see church as boring, as irrelevant, as maybe uh, just kind of too political or divisive. Some say, you know, I don't want anything to do with organized religion. They don't want anything that kind of puts a structure to spirituality, where there's any sort of kind of authority structure, money involved, buildings involved to them, that just kind of messes everything up. Just, just let it be me and Jesus, and that's it. Uh, some look at the church today, and they say, that's, the church today is nothing like what I read in the New Testament. And then for others, you know, they're just lazy. Uh, John Mark Comer uh, observed that young people in his city Uh, he often stopped coming to church, not because of sin or losing their faith. He says, no, usually they've been lured away from church because of brunch. When it comes to the difficult work of getting out of bed, putting on clothes, and going to hear a message about sin and salvation, we'd rather have bacon, French toast, and an extra hour of sleep. Don't say amen to that, okay? (laughs) Now, now I'm guessing if you're here today, you at least value uh, church somewhat, You're maybe not part of that 44%. Um, You didn't skip church for brunch today. But I don't know if you've ever wondered, like, why do we bother with this? What are we even doing here? What is the church? Um, Are are today's churches even biblical churches? Why church? 
We're going to answer two questions today, and then the third question next week. First, should a Christian be part of a local church? And then once we kind of know the answer to that question, we have to ask the obvious next question with what is a church? Like if a Christian should be part of a church, then what even is a church? And then next week we'll ask, why do we gather as a church regularly on a weekly basis? What's the point of that? Why do we do it? Is it even biblical, the hour, hour, 15 minutes that we kind of spend together publicly on a weekly basis? Is that biblical or the things we are doing, is that actually what? a public gathering of the church should look like. So first question, should a Christian be part of a local church? So first off, I don't even like the way that this question is phrased. And this is what I wrote down for us to talk about today. <laughs> like, but I don't even like how I wrote the question. I don't like, I don't really like the word should there. I don't know if anyone else reacts, it grates on you a little bit, that like should, like, ugh, because we're told all the time, like, you should. Especially, like, what Steve mentioned, thanks for bringing up our New Year's resolution, Steve, like, around this time of year, like, I should exercise more, I should eat better, I should, there's a lot of shoulds that I think get piled on us, and, and I think for a lot of us, we kind of react negatively to those things, like, even, even sinful, you know, I, I, I should stop being so angry, I should stop lying, I should stop lusting. Whatever sin you want to name, I should honor God with my life and my thoughts and my words. I should obey his commands. But so often, we find ourselves not doing the things we know we should do. And so we, I think as Christians, we sort of have a complicated relationship with that word should. And what makes uh, Christianity is such good news. What makes the gospel literally good news is that Jesus did all the things that we should do perfectly on our behalf. That's why it's good news. The good news of the gospel isn't that a bunch more shoulds are piled onto our plate. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived a perfect life in our place so that we can be forgiven of those things that we should do that we didn't do, and we can be brought back to God through grace and forgiveness that Jesus bought and paid for with his own precious blood on the cross. That's the good news, right? We come to God through faith in Jesus, trusting in him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it's by grace you've been saved through faith. You've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift. It's not something you earn by performing all the shoulds in your life. It's not something you earn by being a, you know, a good member of a local church. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You don't earn a gift. It's given to you by the sheer grace of God, by the goodness of God. And the, the only thing that's kind of our part in that is faith, just trusting in him. That's not a work we do to earn the gift. It's just receiving the gift and putting our trust in him. And so that's the good news. And this good news gives us a totally different perspective on the shoulds of the Bible. Because they're in there. 
The word should occurs in the Bible hundreds of times. But the, the, the gospel gives us a different perspective on this word. Now, now we delight. Remember that word, delight? We delight in doing God's will. The, Psalm talks, the Psalms talk about delighting in the law of the Lord. Like we want to do the things that God says we should do because we trust in him. Like we trust in him to save us through his goodness and mercy and grace. And we trust in him to, to tell us the way we should live. And so here's how I kind of think about it. We, 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 we shouldn't necessarily be allergic to the word should. We should trust in Jesus who performed all the shoulds for us and because of that, we should be wildly grateful as these new creations in Christ who have spiritual power now to do the things we should do that we never could do or would do. All right, so does that make sense? Got that out of the way, got that out of my system, my little quibble with the word should. But we're gonna use the word should because the Bible does. So should a Christian be part of a local church? What does the Bible say? First off, the Bible says that every Christian is already part of the church, of the worldwide uh, capital C church. So if you believe the gospel, if you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, you are part of the church already. Right after Paul says, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right after that in Ephesians 2, he says in verse 19 through 22, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Man, that sounds glorious, right? This new people that's being put together, that's being built together, that's growing together into this holy dwelling place for God's spirit. This new nation, this new family, this new temple. And so if you're, if you're trusting in Jesus and following him, man, you are a part of this family, this household, this new nation. Look at how Paul talks about in other places, the church as a, calls it the body of Christ. You might have heard that before. We're the body of Christ. And if you're new to church or new to Jesus, you might think that's kind of weird. Like, we're the body? What? How does that work? Well, it's a metaphor. It's a word picture that's used to describe the church. The capital C, church. Romans 12. Uh, we're, we have many parts, or as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So Jesus, is, or Paul here, is writing to the Roman church, talking about how they're the body of Christ, but it's not just the one church, it's not just that one local church as the body of Christ. It's also, he says the first, to the Corinthians, the first Corinthians 12, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And then he says in Ephesians 4, there is one body. 
So it's not like, hey, the Roman church, they're the body of Christ individually as a local church, and then you have the, the, the Corinthian church, and then they're a separate body of Christ. No, Ephesians says, no, this is all one body. So just think about, think about again how glorious that is. We are members of Christ's body, of his physical expression on this earth. We're a holy temple where the spirit dwells. We're part of God's household or family, brothers and sisters, with God as our father. Man, if that's what the church is, like, sign me up. I wonder that 44% of people that are like, nah, I don't want to be part of a church. I wonder if that's the picture they have of the church. Do they see the glory of what the church truly is in the scriptures? But here's the mind-bending thing about all of these teachings about the church. It's not just about this abstract, generalized, like, yeah, the worldwide capital C church, we're all a part of it. Um, it doesn't just stay at that level, does it? These things are also true of, of, of real people in real local churches. Leads to our second point here in the Bible. Uh, it was inconceivable that an individual who belongs to the big C church would not be a part of a little c local church. So you notice this in the way that Paul greets the different churches that he writes to. One of the things that is really interesting if you compare back and forth and flip between Paul's different letters in the New Testament, you know, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, all those ends of the Bible, and you flip back and forth and look at like the first few verses to see the comparison, it's kind of fun to do, and so you notice the way Paul just greets these churches. He, he talks to the church of the Thessalonians. That's what he calls them, the church of the Thessalonians. Or um, he talks to the churches of Galatia. But then sometimes he changes it up and he calls um, the, the people of uh, Ephesus, he says, to, the, to all the faithful saints in Ephesus. Or to the saints in Philippi. Or to the saints in Colossae. It, it seems like it's just kind of interchangeable to say, hey, all the saints in Ephesus, or hey, the church in Thessalonica, like all the believers are part of these local churches. Like you, you wouldn't have had a believer in Philippi that wanted to be a part of like the big C church, but who didn't wanna be a part of the Philippian church. Like that just didn't exist. And so look at, look at what Paul says, in fact, to the Corinthians. Look at how he greets them in 1 Corinthians. He says, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So he's talking about these particular people in this local church, but he joins them with all people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. And so this idea of just family and connection here is so strong. We all have one father, we're his children, brothers and sisters together, part of the same forever family, the same household, citizens of heaven together, part of this building that's being 
built up to house the dwelling of God. Like, this is the glory of what Scripture teaches us. And it was just not even a thought that someone who's a part of the big C church would opt out of being a part of the little C church. It's like if you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to being part of his family. I just think of how um, when, when uh, Amy uh, said yes to marrying me, she said yes to being part of my family. Um, she said yes to my family. Think about this. If I dropped down on one knee and had proposed to her, you know, will you marry me and, you know, open that box with the ring and all of that. And, and if she had responded by saying uh, yes under one condition, which is never good, right? You just, it should just be like a yes, straight up, and that's it. If not, you know, not good. But if she had said yes under one condition, I don't want to have anything to do with your family. Ooh, that would be awkward, right? Where do we go from here? And, and in the same way, when we're united with Christ through faith in him, we're united to his family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and not just in like a theoretical sense. There's, there's actual real-time implications, actual local community and, and relationships. Okay, so our first question, should a Christian be part of a local church? We could go a lot deeper into this, but, but the Bible gives a resounding yes to this question. But now here's where things get a little tricky. Uh, you start to get to a little bit of the finer points. It's like, well, what exactly is a church? You know? And it's like, is there a loophole here? Right? Like, okay, we could be, we're supposed to be part of a local church, but what is a biblical church? church. Generationally, you might answer this question differently. Like for older generations, uh, a church was something that you go to, a building. For younger generations, it was kind of drilled into my head growing up that um, church isn't something you go to. Like you are the church. You don't go to church. You are the church. And so younger generations stopped going to church because they're told you are the church, you don't go to church. Okay, I won't go to church then. That makes sense, right? Is that, it just like generationally, uh, we've been told different things about what the church is. But which is it, right? Is the church a place you go or is it something you are? I've heard people say to me, um, well, church for me is like, man, out in the deer stand, out in the woods, like that's my church. Or out on the water and the fishing, like that is my church. That's where I experience God. Other people say, well, uh, I, get, I get together with a friend for coffee. We talk about what God's doing in our lives. For me, that's church. Others say, hey, I, I uh, have sermons I like to watch on YouTube, and that's, that's what I do for church. I had a friend the other day that told me, you know, for church, he said, uh, we get some friends together in our house, and we watch uh, a sermon online from a church a few hours away in a big city, and that's, that's what we do for church. Are all these things church? Uh, what, what is a church? What about a youth ministry or a college ministry? Is that a church? Um, what about, what about a, a worship service? I went to a, a college where we had 
uh, required chapels twice a week. So a worship service, very similar to what we're doing here today. And it was you know, twice a week, during the week, Tuesday and Thursday or whatever. And so on Sunday morning, a lot of the students, you know, it's like we've already had our church for the week, right? And it was like on Sunday morning, we're going to go to church at, you know, what do you call it? Like Bedside Baptist with Pastor Pillow and Sister Sheets. You know, that was, that was the joke, right? In the dorms. And, and I don't know, is that kind of a worship service in a chapel in a college setting or, or maybe a, a worship service at a retirement home? Like, is that a church? What is a biblical church? Sometimes we just assume we're doing it, but let's ask the question. Are we just going through the motions? Are we a biblical church even? So I'm gonna give you quick uh, five ingredients. We could go way deeper into this. There's a lot more scriptures we could bounce around to and study this in depth. Uh, but five ingredients of a biblical church. Heard these from James Emery White. Didn't come up with these myself, but, myself, but I've, I've loved them ever since I've heard them because I think um, there can be more than just these five, but there's certainly not less than these five. And we can see all of them. The cool thing, we can see all of them in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. A great place to go if you're looking for more about the church because this is kind of the first description of the early church after Jesus ascended to go to be with his father in heaven. So Acts chapter two, 42 through 47, they, the disciples, there are 3,000 of them uh, together at this point in Jerusalem. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common, they sold their possessions and property and distributed pro the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. There's a lot that we could go into again, a lot of places we could go in scripture to look at a good definition of the church. But I want to just pull out five things. They all start with the letter C. First, um, community. Community. It says all the believers were together. Right away we see that there is a unity here that's defined by the fact that they are believers in Jesus Christ. No one is excluded based on age, based on sex, based on other factors. Um, it's a public group where all believers come together. So a, a, a church, it can't be kind of, you know, segregated by, by age or by race or economic status. Um, a church can't just be for young people or older people. A church can't just be for a certain, you know, culture or ethnic. That's not a church. It can't be based on, it can't be like a youth group, right? Where it's based on age. Like a youth group is like sixth through 12th grade here, right? Uh, that's not a church because it's not like open to everybody, right? Like I'm not gonna show up at the youth group and be like, oh, this is my church. Can't be something like a college ministry. People are excluded by age. It can't be a, a women's group or a men's group or even a, a small group where it's um, 
kind of confined to the number of people that could fit in your living room? I'm guessing you're not wanting like 500 people to show up to your living room for church. It has to be a public, open community of believers. No space for discrimination, no space for prejudice, no space for uh, cliquishness, if that's a word, no space for kind of a, an us for no more mentality. That destroys the nature of the church, this public, wide open community of believers that we see in the Bible. And man, one of the things I love about Trinity, this, this is an incredible place. When we come together on Sunday morning, I'm convinced this is one of the most diverse gatherings of people that ever takes place in Cedar Falls, Waterloo, Iowa. You think about where else do you see people of all ages like this gathering? We got 96-year-olds and we got six-week-olds here. Where else do you see on a regular basis people that diverse gathering? We have people of every different economic background, every different walk of life and job, every different kind of you know, cultural background. Where else in this community do you have you know, people coming together where it's you know, construction workers and doctors and, and college students? Where else do you have people coming together from literally dozens of different cultural and ethnic backgrounds? So community, wide open public community of believers, right? And, and that, that little condition of, of believers is based on a confession of faith. That's the second C, a confession of faith. That we share and confess the same truths. The early church in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So a church isn't just like a social group that's focused around some hobby. It's, it's based on the apostles' teaching as its foundation. And what were the apostles teaching? They were teaching about Jesus. They were teaching about who Jesus is and what he did for us. That is essential to being the church. And understand this, like, we welcome anyone and everyone that wants to come in and experience uh, the church, experience even worship together, hear about who Jesus is and explore that more, even if they're not convinced of it all yet. Um, but for us at Trinity, the, the, the unity that we have together is around Jesus and who he is. And for us, that means we have, uh, we have a biblically-based, just practically a biblically-based statement of faith that we hold to, that is uh, part of our, um, you know, belonging to the Wesleyan church. We hold to this biblically-based statement of faith, and we hold each other to that. And so we're not, we're not just going to go off into the latest fad, the latest cultural wind of, of doctrine. We're going to stand firm on the apostles' teaching. And so I'll say it bluntly, like, if you're not standing firm on the apostles' teaching and you call yourself a church, you're not a church. I think how many of our churches in town are only kind of churches in name only because they're not standing firm on the scriptures. Third C is corporate. And when I say corporate, um, it's a, a, there's a corporate structure. There's something that we're doing together. There's an organization to it. And we see this very early on. There was leadership in the early church, even in Acts 2. They were combining their finances 
together. There were sharing financial resources together. There were things that, were, uh, that needed and required some sort of structure of leadership and governance and accountability. And in, in today's world, um, we're kind of allergic to that. Anything where there's a structure, it feels like institution-y. Um, we love the idea of like organic. We just want it to be organic. We just want it to be like authentic. Um, and, and somehow that means no accountability, no structure. None of that. How's that working for us these days, right? And it's a blessing and it's a beautiful gift in the scriptures that there is a clear vision for godly biblical leadership, for accountability, for good stewardship of resources, um, for the reality of the, the fact that in Acts chapter six, the whole company of the disciples gathered together to select leaders. There's an accountability uh, that mutually flows back and forth between leaders and between the whole uh, body. And what, what a gift that there's that kind of structure. And we need leaders. We need godly leaders. And, God, and even godly leaders need accountability. I think um, that's one of the reasons for us as a church, it's a sidebar, where even though everyone is a member of the church of Jesus Christ, we, we encourage people to go through a formal membership process uh, to be able to speak into the things that we do as a church, to be able to speak into the governance of the church, to be able to hold accountable me, your, your lead, myself and other leaders in our church. And I, you know, members meetings, I know for some of you, like showing up to like a business meeting, that's just like nails on a chalkboard for you. It's like, oh, a me- like a business meeting. That's the worst. For some of you, that's how you feel. Um, but man, if no one shows up to those things, let me just tell you, if no one shows up to those, then I guess I just, I just do whatever I want. Is that how, I mean, I, you don't want that, trust me. And I don't want that. And we need uh, a robust uh, membership here that's engaged and involved, even in the formal aspects of how we make decisions as a church. Um, I'll just say this clearly, a church that lacks biblical and healthy structure and organization and leadership is a church that's asking for scandals, asking for financial abuse, asking for disunity. And it's probably just not a church. Think about this. That thing you've heard people call a church, um, getting coffee with their friend, that's church for them. Or their uh, group of people that gets together and watches something online. Or that, that worship service at a college chapel or a retirement home. Um, does it have any sort of structure of spiritual leadership and then members that give a voice and where there's healthy accountability? If not... It's not a church. Number four, celebration. Uh, Celebration. I love to celebrate. And who doesn't? And who who wouldn't want to be a part of coming together and celebrating the greatest news on earth of what Jesus has done for us? And so this is a part of it for us. Um, What we do on Sunday morning, we get to come together and celebrate and gather. And um, again, there's that question of, is church something you go to or is it who you are? 
And I wonder if it's more of a both and. Like we are the church, but being the church involves gathering together. And that gathering involves specific things, and we'll talk more about that next week. What does it look like to celebrate together as a church on a regular basis? What is that kind of gathering supposed to look like? Is there supposed to be uh, something like a sermon? Is there supposed to be singing? Is there supposed to be, you know, what's, what's supposed to be involved in that? Number five, um, there's a cause. There's a common cause. And we see this in verse 47. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This church that had just been given the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, here we see in Acts chapter two, they're doing it. They're living out this vision. They're living out this mission. They're living out this cause. They're leading people to faith in Christ. They're discipling them to obey everything Jesus commanded. And ultimately it's that that, is the, the, that, that leads to the transformation of society. There's so many things that we do as a church, um, you know, helping lift people out of poverty, um, helping people that are in, in crisis, helping with so many different needs. That's all, that's all biblical. But ultimately, it's the gospel that transforms It says people um, come to faith in Christ and realize their need for the transformational work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That's what brings transformation to people and to society. I saw this um, so clearly when I was in Sierra Leone back in 2016. As a church, we uh, for years had a partnership with a village and we helped them with um, practical needs, kind of on their own initiative of things that they needed help with and kind of came alongside them Sustainable agriculture, incredible programs of you know, sustainable agriculture and drilling wells. And uh, ultimately, we also planted a church there as well. But just being in Sierra Leone, one of the poorest countries on the earth, it was, um, if you've ever been in that situation, uh, it's tough not just to sit there and kind of, prob- like for me, like to sit there and just like problem solve constantly of like, how could we fix some of the like poverty that's happening? It's just so um, uh, different than what we experience here in America. And I would sit around kind of with our team, there was four of us, and we'd sit around and, and kind of debrief some of what we're seeing, because it's just a lot of it's heavy stuff. Um, for example, in the, in the city of Freetown, a million plus people, there was one physical therapist, one who's going around and, and trying to help children um, that had been born with um, different birth defects to learn to, to walk. One physical therapist. Um, another example of the kind of poverty and the kind of just problems in this country. To get from somewhere like here to Des Moines takes us like two hours, right? In Sierra Leone, it would take 16 just didn't have roads that you could travel from one place to another easily. And so as we're sitting as a team and kind of thinking through all this and problem solving and and all of it, um, every time we would talk about something, it was like it ultimately would come back to the gospel. We'd talk about some of the poverty and like, well, why is it that, you know, there's not a motivation to, um, to build wealth in this country, 
Why is it that it's just kind of subsistence farming? And then we kind of came to the realization that, you know what, anytime someone builds wealth, like the government just comes and steals it. Like the government is so corrupt. So why would you even, what would even be your motivation? And then so how do you fix the, what, what, how do you, what do you do about the corruption in the government? Well, like here's these corrupt leaders and they're powerful and they have all this money and they have all these connections and then how do you, how do you change that? How do you transform that? And then here's the people and the people are, are electing these people. They're electing these corrupt leaders, supposedly electing, you know. Um, how do you change all this? And it's just so big. And ultimately at every point we came down to, you know what, there has to be there has to be godly people, leaders, you know, even political leaders that break that cycle, that are transformed by the gospel. And they step into these situations and they say, we're gonna end the cycle of corruption. We're gonna have true justice in this country. And ultimately, everything we came back to is like, it's like not something that we can humanly fix. Ultimately, the cause that we have as the church of Jesus Christ, it's the only thing that can um, truly transform society from the bottom up. There's a lot of great things that we can do in the world. There's a lot of great charities. There's a lot of great nonprofits. Um, there's a lot of great you know, businesses out there and a, a lot of great causes and professions but without the gospel, lasting, long-term transformation isn't possible. Now, we went through, uh, just quickly, these five C's. Um, there's a lot more scriptures you could go to, a lot more places you could go to, to study this out. I encourage you to do that on your own. But also, in your small groups or on your own, I encourage you this week to just, to just spend some time dialoguing and thinking about what happens if one of these five is missing from a church. What happens to that church? What problems arise? Um, is it, is it uh, what, is, what is neglected or what is removed from that experience? I think of it as these five things are like five ingredients in a cake. I was making pancakes the other day for my kids don't do it very often, and so I wasn't like following the recipe very well, and it was a little distracted. There was a lot happening in our house at that moment, and so went to like cook the pancakes, and I was like, "This doesn't seem quite right," but whatever. Went through it and realized I'd forgotten eggs and I'd forgotten butter. Right? Uh, tasted like chalk. It's like, what are we eating here? It's kind of chalky. Um, but when you put enough maple syrup on it, it's fine. It's fine. The kids liked it, but. Um, but in the same way, I think with these five C's that we've talked about, you need all five of them for a biblical church. Last thing I'll say is even with all these ingredients in place, it can go really, really wrong. Um, some of you have experienced that. We can still mess it up. And I know there's people here that have been just, just burned by different churches or are burned out on church. Uh, I know there are those who've experienced church hurt. And I've talked with people in recent months that just like tears in their eyes, you know, they've said, 
I've invested decades in a church and I feel like it was all a waste because of things that happened. And I always say, first of all, first off, it wasn't a waste. You had an impact on the people in that church. But secondly, I just think it's so cool that as I've talked to these individuals, they haven't given up on the beauty and the glory of what the church of Jesus Christ is. And even though a particular local church failed them, um, they're not giving up on the church, and I have so much respect for that. And I say to those people, you know, like, we, we need you. Uh, we need you to help us. We need you to help make sure that we don't go off track. We need you to, to help give us insights of how, how we can fulfill the picture of a biblical local church. And with that, I actually just wanna give an opportunity to everyone here this morning um, to, to do what we call take, is taking a next step. Take another step in walking with Jesus. Take another step in committing and connecting with this church. And I encourage you, um, as you take that card that's on the seat um, with you or, or underneath your seat, potentially, I want you to grab that card and take a look at it this morning. And you can do this one of two ways. I'd just love for everyone to fill this out, number one. Um, and you can do this anonymously, or uh, you can indicate who you are and have one of the pastors follow up with you. On the bottom of this card, there's a little check mark that says, I want a pastor to follow up with me. If you fill this out and you don't check this box, we won't follow up with you. Okay? So <laughs> if you fill this out and, and you're like, nobody followed up with me, you probably didn't check this box, all right? We will do our best to follow up with everyone, even if it's like all... 500 people or whatever, like, it's going to be a fun week, Steve. Um, so we encourage you, fill, fill this out. Uh, what, what is my next step? As we've talked about the glory of, of the body of Christ and the church, and as we've talked about what it is to be part of a church, what even is a church, um, I just ask you to take a minute. I'm going to give you a moment just prayerfully to fill this out. And you don't have to put your name to this. This can just be kind of between you and the Lord, but we ask you to turn it in anyway. There's something about, I feel like, kind of that act um, that makes it a little more real. But then if there's something you would like to um, have us help you take another step in, we would love to do that. Um, so there's a few things on this. Just hopefully you're looking at this card right now. Have a pen uh, ready um, as well. Uh, one is put my faith in Jesus. And if you're here and you haven't yet taken that step, um, man, we would love to have you as a part of the family of Jesus Christ, trusting in him, walking with him. And even if you just wanna like talk to somebody about that, check that box and then put who you are and we'll, we'd love to sit down and talk with you about that. Uh, take a next steps class. Um, we offer these um, every month or two. We have one in January, February, March, April, you can sign up online. It's you and your 10 new best friends. It's super fun. Uh, but come and be a part of it, three, four hours. Uh, learn a lot about scripture. Learn a lot about what these next steps look like that we're talking about today. Maybe that for you is a next step. Just come and take a next steps class sometime in the next couple months. Uh, joining a small group. Maybe that's something that you've never done. Maybe it's something you've done in the past and it was a really bad experience. I get it. But if you check that box and you let us know who you are and you check the box of have a pastor contact me, uh, we will do our best to work with you 
to find a group that uh, would be a good fit, to find a group that works for your schedule. We have groups that meet almost every different day and night and time of the week. It's so important to be connected beyond this uh, on Sunday morning. Be baptized. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe you don't even know what that is, but you've never done it and you'd just love to figure out what does that mean for me to be baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ. Be discipled one-on-one. Maybe for you that that one-on-one is more of your wheelhouse or more of how you think that um, you're gonna be able to grow in this season. I think Jesus had some of his most effective conversations, some of his best conversations one-on-one. I know I have some of my best conversations one-on-one. Maybe for you that's something you would want to explore. Uh, Let me say, we got a whole bunch of people that would just love to meet with somebody and invest in somebody and walk alongside them for you know, six months, a year, um, just to develop that kind of relationship. Or maybe it's discipling someone else one-on-one. Um, maybe that's what God's calling you to in this season. Maybe it's to begin serving. Maybe for you, you've been a part of this church for a while and um, you'd love to just jump in and uh, use your time to impact others. It was so exciting. I got to see a few people this morning that are newer to the church that have jumped into serving. And it's just so cool to see people that, you know, two months ago were brand new now investing and serving in different ways. Maybe it's uh, beginning to give financially. And that's totally between you and the Lord and like our accountant, right? (laughs) Like uh, we have no idea as pastors what people give and all of that. Um, But maybe that's something for you that's another step. And maybe you want more information on that. If you check that box, we'll just ask you what questions you have. Uh, Maybe it's meeting with a pastor one-on-one. Sorry, I'm taking a while to go through this. Uh, You can read, but I wanna explain these. Um, Meeting with a pastor one-on-one. Maybe there's just questions you have before you can kind of dive in wholeheartedly to be a part of this church. Maybe there's questions you have about who we are, about what we believe. Uh, One, come to a next steps class, but even, even without that, we'd love to meet with you um, personally and just talk more and get to know you. And then last, maybe becoming a formal member. Uh, maybe you've been, you know, like I said, all of us are members of the body of Christ if you're trusting in Jesus, but, but that step of formal membership, there's a little bit of a process there. Uh, maybe just taking that step to be able to have a little more investment, a little more of a voice in what we do here. Um, that's important to me. Uh, I need that as a leader here, and I think all of us um, uh, can, can, can contribute something in that way in the decisions we make as a church. And then the last one is just other, just blank check, whatever you, whatever you want to put down, uh, write it. So I'm going to give you a minute to do that, and then um, you'll hand those in into the middle. Uh, so in the sanctuary, you'll hand those into the middle aisle, and then our ushers will come down and, and walk through and pick those up. Here you'll hand these in to the middle and then we'll have ushers pick those up as well. Let me give you a minute to do that. Again, you can do it anonymously. You can fill out your information, whatever you wanna do.
All right, as you're wrapping that up, ushers, who are my ushers? Would you come down here to the front? Yeah, thanks, Chad. Thanks, Mike. And just hand those cards down your row. Um, give them a second to do that, guys. If you, did, if, if, if you missed the baskets somehow, you can drop them in the boxes as you leave. Let me pray for us. God, we just thank you uh, for the biblical picture, the biblical vision of the church. It is so glorious and so, um, <laughs> maybe it is even hard for us to believe that that's what you call us, uh, that you call us citizens of a new uh, kingdom, that you call us members of your household, that you call us part of your body, that you call us part of this temple that's being built and housing your glory, your very presence. But God, that's what you say about us. And would we um, think no less <laughs> about what we are, what your church is. And so we, um, we need your grace to live out this picture faithfully we need your grace um, to be who you say we are. And so, God, would you um, pour out your grace upon us, upon this church, just as we think forward and look forward to the year ahead. God, would this truly be a year where, um, just in a powerful way, in a strong way, God, we're living out and fulfilling a biblical vision for your church. By your grace, we pray all this in Jesus' name.